Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about monetizing your positioning. What a ing in that one. Ing, ing, ing. Ing. <laughs> we're inging today. Absolutely. Yeah. If we sound a little funny, it's because we're recording on a Thursday in the <laughs> afternoon. Well, morning, morning where I am, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully no lawnmowers. Yeah. Ex- yeah. It's been quiet here. Knock on wood. Uh, cool. So, um, so Rochelle is working on a book, as you may or may not know. Yay. And and she was just telling me before the show about a chapter she's working on. I was like, oh, that would make such a great episode. So that's the plan for today. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to sort of give people a thumbnail sketch of, of the subject of the chapter? Yeah. So the subject of the chapter is basically how to monetize your positioning. And so if you think about it this way, positioning is you know, who are you going to serve? What specialty are you in? What niche have you carved out for yourself? Um, what's your vision? What's your big idea? It's all those things. And I think what happens really often is that people start on this freelancer or, or independent consultant journey. And for the first couple of years, they don't do the positioning. They go right to monetizing. And people will say, oh, well, there's 40 hours in the week. And I'm going to bill all 40 of them. So if I divide that by what and what was I making before? So they go through like this exercise in their mind. So they, they monetize this thing, but without thinking about positioning. And then after they've been doing this for, it's usually about a couple years, at least that's what I've seen in my experience. All of a sudden they're starting to get get this idea that, oh, Maybe what I really need to do, even if they don't use the word position, is I need to understand exactly who I'm serving, exactly how I'm different from everybody else, and you know what's this magic thing that I'm bringing to the party that's going to change the lives of my clients for the better. Mm. And once they do that and they go through that process, and you know when you do it on your own, it usually takes a while. It's really iterative. You try things and you gradually tend to get more specialized. And then at some point, you see, you kind of come smack dab up to your business and revenue model. And you say, Mm -hmm. oh, so these don't fit. There's a disconnect. Once you start really positioning yourself, the old, typically, not always, but mostly, the old way of monetizing your expertise doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You begin to get punished. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like like there's some blinders on too, because it's easy to see what we already know. Um, It's a little scarier to take those blinders off and go, oh, so how else can I monetize this new approach that I'm taking? Uh, Maybe it's not billing by the hour. Maybe it's not a flat project fee. Maybe it's not a retainer. Maybe it's something different. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a couple, there's two, I think, inflection points in that journey that you just described, which is which is super similar in my experience. Like you said, it's not every single time, but it's very common for people to sort of go out on their own and kind of do their job, but for clients instead of a boss. Mm-hmm. And the obvious business model, if you even want to call it that, is to just rent your hands out by the hour. Yeah. So, and that's fine. That'll get you going. Um, it's it's sort of, I guess that's the first inflection point is for some reason you become dissatisfied being employed and decide to go solo. So that's like a huge jump. And it's uh, generally pretty scary for most people. And so 
yeah. leaping to the obvious business model is a natural, you know, you got a lot of other things going on. Do you really want to innovate using a business model that your clients aren't expecting or, <laughs> you know, so, so it makes sense. I know why people do it. I did it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I see why people do it. And, uh, and then the next inflection point was, like you said, it's usually a couple years later. Again, not always. I know people have been billing by the hour for 15 years, but you know, a couple of years later, you start to notice things that don't feel, for lack of a better term, fair. Um, for example, you start to lose projects. You know, you're sending out proposals or responding to RFPs or you know whatever your sales process is, and you're losing projects to people who are junior to you. They're either younger than you or they're younger in the business than you. They don't have near as much experience. Um, you're, uh, another thing that is a symptom is that you are getting a lot of downward pricing pressure from clients who do want to work with you, but they'll say, you know, the next, you know, the, the next proposal after yours was like half the price. Like, are you really uh -huh. twice as good? You know, it's yeah. kind of the other side of the same coin. <clears throat> you know, you're, you're yeah. getting undercut by, uh, on price, you're getting beaten up on price. You're losing deals to junior people you consider to be junior. And another one is you're hitting home runs for clients that are transforming their businesses, increasing their, you know, bottom line by a million dollars a year or something. And you're like, I got paid for 40 hours at 150 bucks an hour and they made a million dollars and it's going to be recurring. Yeah. You know, and it's like that, you know, for, so those are some symptoms that it feels like, um, there's some smaller ones too that I think are less, less obvious or less painful. Like when you are talking to a new, a new a prospect, I guess I would say a prospect and they compare you to someone who you f is the wrong, they're comparing you to the wrong thing in your opinion. Yeah. yeah. So they, they don't really see the difference. They don't understand what you do or they don't see the difference between what you do and what someone else does. That's, that's less acute. So I'm, I'm kind of getting to the bottom of the barrel on the symptoms for this stage. Uh, there, well, there may actually, be a few let me, more. Let me let me throw one more because I, I see it a lot and I feel like it's big to the people that experience it. And that is that all of a sudden you don't have anybody to sell to. You know that the and when you have a highly marketable skill like let's say software development, right? Mm -hmm. There's lots of jobs out there. There's an established model to do that. But if you're coming off of let's say an HR function, mm -hmm. there aren't as many. There's there are so many people that are doing that without distinction. Mm -hmm. that you just get lost in the crowd. And all of a sudden, all of the leads you had before were from the people who wanted you to succeed in your new business. It's a very <laughs> American thing to start your own business and your friends all want to help you and everybody's throwing you leads. By the second year, those start to just drop away. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. That, that could be right at the top of the list, actually, is that you, you're getting no leads at all. Yeah. You, know, you don't yeah. even have a chance to lose deals to junior... <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. that's a great one. Oh, cool. Okay. So you, you, so you're like, yikes, you know, and you're not getting any younger. They keep making new versions of you, whether you're a software developer or HR or whatever. Uh, so the competition is increasing and you start to realize that you need to, you might, again, you might not call it positioning, but you start to realize that you need to appear different in a meaningful way mm. to start to attract leads and have, you know, some leverage in the sales conversation and be able to defend the fact, you know, the reason, reason behind your fees being higher than anyone else they're talking to. And so, you know, those sorts of things. So you start to think, all right, how, what am I going to do to climb out of the crab bucket 
and and really stand above all of this all of the rabble if you will mm-hmm. what can i do to be different and that's that will take you down the positioning road and you know like you said Rochelle it's it's a combination of it's a combination of foci you know you need to focus on a, a few different things you could pick one the other or multiple um axes to 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 kind of etch a sketch your way to a market position where no one else exists and it could be things like niching down on a very stuff we talk about all the time niching down on a very particular segment of potential buyers and we could talk we've talked at length about how to different ways to segment buyers but a small pond of buyers uh, it could be hyper specializing in some skill that you have you know, whatever it is, login systems, nets, edge, edge security in cloud, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It, it could be a million things, um, but something hyper-specific, like so specific, almost comically specific. Mm-hmm. So that, so that, you know, and for example, uh, we were saying before the show, I'm working with someone who's, who's got a, a, the one and only kind of tagline for his new website. And I, I can't even share it on the show because it's so, <laughs> it's so specific and it's so him that you could quick, you'd immediately find who it is. Like you could just do one yeah. simple Google search and be like, oh, this must be the guy. You know, like there's, there's a guy on YouTube that's called the DIY video guy. He's like the DIY video guy. And I don't even know his real name. It's like Caleb something or <laughs> something like that. And it, it's, you know, you start to, you know, that that is like the the special skill like they've really hyper specialized in this particular skill you know that dude could have been previously been like a video production guy in hollywood or something or for for hollywood studios but he decided to focus way 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 down on a particular application of this massive skill set that he might have had i'm just guessing he could have been a total generalist renting himself by the hour to do video production for you know hollywood uh, studios but then he's like, you know what? I'm going to be the DIY video guy and start a YouTube channel that just helps like a particular kind of person, someone who's trying to shoot YouTube videos, get better at, you know, a little bit of lighting, a little bit of camera, a little bit of sound and, and become the DIY video guy. So, um, if you, so that to me, that would be like a horizontal specialization broadly speaking. And then you can, you know, he could be the DIY video guy for uh, dentists in Providence named Joel, you know, that, so you'd be taking like the, both of the wheels at a sketch and slamming them to one corner, maybe too far, probably too far. Yeah. That sounds a little too far. A little Unless too there's far. that many Joels there. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so th- that's kind of the exercise that you get into at that point when you're like, geez, uh, I've got one of these symptoms that we listed. Uh, I need to do something with my positioning and then I need to, to, you know, spread that message or that messaging, uh, or the brand, however you want to, um, uh, talk about it or however they're going to do it. Cause those are all slightly different things, um, across your website, whatever your marketing mm-hmm. materials are. And so there's some execution that goes on there. And that's why, like Rochelle said, it can take a long time to do first of all, to define. And then second of all, to roll out across all of your various digital properties or physical properties. Well, especially um, if you have to be dragged kicking and screaming. Oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking of a guy I know is not a client, so I, I think I can tell this story. A guy I know uh, met him through a client, and he had a, has a small web design firm with employees, maybe 10 employees. And yeah. I was referred to him because they said, oh, he's the guy to do web design for financial advisors. Yep. So <laughs> what was fascinating is he did not describe himself that way at all. In fact, he went on to tell me about how creative they were in all different areas. 
And, and that was but, a turnoff, right? Exactly. But yeah. it, it, interestingly enough, the client did hire them because they had this specialty. And so I got to know the guy and was explaining to him how appealing this was. And his, his fear was, big surprise, that it would be boring that he wouldn't be able to get the right people. And so he wound up, he did double down on financial advisors, but he made it, he wound up making it more specific than web design. So mm. any any designers listening to this can appreciate how complex web design can be with individual clients. And so they pivoted slightly to, uh, to digital marketing. Mm -hmm. Same concept, you know, same idea. But mm -hmm. he, I took him maybe three years Oh, to yeah. cross that Rubicon. And he did not want to do it. Mm -hmm. And he finally realized that he really didn't have a choice. Doing this local expert was not going to grow his business sustainably. He wanted to be able to keep this group of people busy. And so he was taking, you know, the local auto body store. It's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, this isn't what I had in mind. So it was mm -hmm. for him, it was this three year process. Yeah. You get it. It's almost like you, you need you need to slowly be convinced by the results over time. And it's not, you can't just snap your fingers and do it. It's really, it's very rare for it to work overnight. Although I have seen that happen. Yeah, it can. Uh, yeah, it with, can. The, with if, the right if, combination. Exactly. Yeah, if you just nail your focus, like boom, and it's like highly desired and there's just not a lot of, there's a lot of desire and there's not a lot of competition. Your phone can start ringing literally that day, but it's extremely rare, extremely rare. Um so yeah, I mean, we obviously we could go on about positioning all day long, but so so that you get you to think? this point <laughs> when you realize that you need to do something to differentiate yourself from the masses of other people who your buyers perceive as reasonable alternatives to you. So you need to, you need to do something. It's positioning to make you appear unique, the only choice, the one and only mm -hmm. for whatever. So then now here's, and now here's really, this is all preamble really, because that gets us to the next inflection point. So you, you work on your positioning for a year or two or three, and it finally, you know, starts to, to, you start to get a lot of traction. And what happens when you're, usually what happens when you're really specialized like that, and you're focused on a particular niche, and you've really pigeonholed yourself into a space, you can start to deliver outsized results. You get, you actually get better at delivering results because you're you're better at what you do and you're mm -hmm. and you understand the intricacies of the segment that you've chosen for your market whether yes. it's demographic or psychographic or vertical or whatever it is but you understand those people and their businesses so you can hit home runs a lot faster or a lot better both a mm -hmm. lot or a lot more frequently and a lot faster and so if you are still stuck in the crab bucket business model of hourly billing you're going to notice right away that there's some major problems because you're like, you're hitting bigger home runs. You're hitting grand slams now and you're doing, you know, every inning you're hitting grand slams and you're done so fast that you can't, you can't with a straight face, give them an hourly rate that would actually increase your revenue <laughs> because you're like, you're like, Oh, well, geez, like we're super efficient. The work is higher quality than ever. The results are outstanding. And at most, we can charge 250 bucks an hour. And something that would take someone else 10 times longer to do and not even get to as good of an outcome is going to make them way more money, the other company way more money, yeah. the competitor more money. So all of a sudden, you're like, geez, I'd spent the last two or three years working on this positioning. 
and and we're getting great leads, much better clients. Uh, we've got a pipeline. We're booked solid, but we're making less money or the same money, and we're working like dogs. Like what gives? So that's when you get to this point where it's like, all right, how do I monetize this positioning that you finally established? Yeah, and I, there's one other piece I, I, that I. I I think we should mention too, which is this idea of working from your genius zone, because I feel like that has a lot to do with how you monetize your positioning ultimately, because um, if Jonathan, if you wanted to spend all of your time um, writing and teaching, that's Mm going to look one way. If you wanted to spend most of your time consulting one-to-one or with small groups and organizations, you're going to structure how you monetize your business in a different way. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's that Absolutely. ability to take the way you really want to work along, you know, that's part of your positioning, I think. And then you look at how am I going to monetize this? So um, an example I'm, I'm writing about in the book, actually, is a guy who is kind of the guy for his particular niche. And if you look at what he's, what he's, the way he's monetizing his business, he has three things that he does. So he consults. And he has a flat project price for those things. And it's around $125,000 in assignment. He does two to three a year. Um, He does speaking and usually around $20,000 a pop. And he might have somewhere from eight to 20 speaking engagements in a non-COVID year. (laughs) And and then he's got two evergreen, I'm not going to call them best-selling books, but he sells about 20,000 copies a year, which mm. is pretty good. But most yeah. of those copies are being sold to people who are attending, attending the speeches or uh, when he works with a client, they might buy, you know, a hundred of his books. Right. So, so he's got this model. And when you look at all the pieces, he can earn maybe $650,000 was his best year. Um, mm. But he typically earns at least 450 to 500,000. But here's the problem, because a lot of people listening to this are probably going to go, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to do that. <laughs> but it w- it was killing him. I mean, literally, because for those clients in his particular niche, he's consulting to the CEO typically and some C-suite people. So he has to show up. Yeah. It's not virtual other than, you know, again, during COVID. He has to show up. They expect that. It's part of that expectation. For those speeches... He has to fly. He's got to go there. He has to deliver them. So you think about those two things. And then, you know, the books sell, of course, but he's not making that much money on the Mm -hmm. books. The real Mm -hmm. money is coming from the other two. So he is on what I would call a gilded hamster wheel. (laughs) You know, right? TM, TM, TM. That's so good. (laughs) The gilded hamster wheel. Yeah, I just came up with that. Love that. Um, yeah, so it, it's, you know, it's when you get to that point. Now, in this particular case, this person had already done all their positioning and mm-hmm. had created this model that, that he'd had for a while. And then he's like, oh, maybe this isn't the way I want to work for the rest of my life. Mm. And so that's a different place to be. If you do it the other way, if you look and say, okay, here's my positioning, here's how I work in my genius zone, here are the people I want to serve, here's the transformations that I'm getting that are so big, then you just start over. Start over with a blank piece of paper and say, mm-hmm. what's the best way to monetize this? Yeah. Is it, is it consulting? 
And if it is, then you need to very seriously think about value pricing and start. Yeah, very seriously. Yeah, and start at least experimenting with that because you have very little to lose. There's no um, leverage if you don't. Yeah, if you if yeah. I mean, what are the other options? It's like hourly or monthly, I guess. You know, it's like uh, anyway. Sorry. Yeah, but in the example I was using, um, this guy was charging you know, an average of about one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for a particular kind of project. It wasn't a mm-hmm. flat. He didn't think of it as a flat fee, but he proposed a flat fee and it was different for each client. That was his average. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the results, he was saving them tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, and what was especially good for him is that his client is the CEO. CEOs love to pay more money for people. It means they're getting the best. Right, they, they want, want the, the guy that's the most expensive. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a perfect storm. And he could literally change his model overnight, overnight, if he's simply value priced. Mm. Right. Yeah. Two engagements a year for more money. Yeah. And, right. and instead of, and you could argue, you know, maybe doing some speeches made sense just to keep his name out there. And just keeps, for marketing. Keep yeah. the books. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But he doesn't have to do eight to, to 20. He could right. do three. If right. they're the right three, the right three, maybe even exactly. two, maybe even right. two, especially yeah. if it's center stage. Yeah, Davos and Ted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boom. There you go. Done. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an example of something that looks really good from the outside, but is really a challenge to sustain on any level. And yep. so when, when you're looking at monetizing, I think the fun part is to, is to start, as I said, with a clean sheet and say, what could I do? Mm-hmm. What could I do? Hmm. Maybe I could have some kind of a community where I'm using like a Slack channel as a device and I can bring people together. Maybe yep. I could do that. How, how many people do I know who would do that? How could I make it tie into my brand and be exclusive enough that I can charge a relatively high price for that? Mm-hmm. Um, developing training. I mean, I'm, we, between the two of us, we can you know go, go ad nauseum with this. But this idea of that you're stuck with this business and revenue model that you created for something you used to do right, is yep. like insanity. Yep, right. Because the, the business model that you're describing is like the typical one for a consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, write books, speak at conferences, and make your money on consulting. Yeah, It's like, it's like that's the garden variety. And, and look at what, we've talked about this recently. He couldn't sell that business. He's the business. No. There's no value in it. No, no, there's no, there's, there's nothing to it. All the trust is, yeah, I, you, know, you didn't mention any employees or any. No, any, no employees. Yeah. So, In fact, not even a VA. I was trying to get him to at least hire a VA so he wasn't doing his own travel arrangements. He's like, no, 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 it's too, too complicated to have more people. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> yeah. um, that's fine. No, I'm feeling seen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, creating a, creating some kind of a membership community creating uh, executive masterminds. You could, you know, have some kind of um, recurring revenue. You could create a kind of like a Netflix for the thing that you do. Yes. You know, um, you could create a certification program for coaches or trainers where you create, yep, you teach the method, you create a workbook, you certify, you know, whatever. A few trainers every month before you know it, you're getting a cut of all of these training gigs you know, if you're the one, if you are the one that is known for the thing, then that you can, you can, um, spread that 
brand umbrella to almost like a franchise model. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so yeah. many other ways you could do it. Uh, but if, if someone didn't, you know, I suppose someone who's just like, oh, it's too complicated to deal with a VA, they probably wouldn't want to go with a certification program. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, there's just, but the model of the, that uh, that he was using is just the classic model. And it, it's not even, it's not even the worst. Like to me, the worst would be if somebody maybe didn't have a book, was just doing speaking. This is really common in the software space where somebody is really into a particular technology. Maybe they, certainly when I was doing it, I knew lots of people who got like one book deal with O'Reilly, which is the most prominent software publisher. And they would have, and by the time, by the, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, around then, you know, all of the big books had kind of been all the Bibles I feel like had kind of been written in, in the books that were coming out then were really, really specialized into a very specific thing. Mm. Um, you know, so they weren't super long. You'd maybe get a 200 page book, you know, tops. And I'm sure there were exceptions of course, but there were lots of like hundred, 150 to 225 page books about a hyper specific thing, like, like DNS or, you know, like something really under the covers. And, uh, and then that person would, would be handed speaking opportunities from the publisher because the publisher ran conferences. And so so it was very common for software developers at that time. And maybe still true. I don't know, uh, to get a, to get a book deal, go through the 200 hours. Maybe it takes to write the book, uh, get it published and then go on these sort of, you know, it was very easy to get into the speaking circuit, uh, especially if you had an O'Reilly book and then were they paid for those speeches or were they free? um, I think I got paid. Yeah, I think so. I didn't so pay. It was I certainly didn't pay the trap. And eh, not meaningful. Right. Okay. Not meaningful. It wasn't 20 grand. I mean, it maybe maybe two, mm-hmm. you know, for one of those sorts of things like speaking at Oscon or something. Uh, maybe five, you know. I didn't keynote any of those, that's for sure, but um so who knows. Like there's it's 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 worth flying to in a non-covid year. It's worth flying to one. Uh, for free meeting all the, cause it, the but the thing was the reason it's worth flying to is because a line of people come up afterwards to give you their business cards right. and they're like oh you are a celebrity for the next 15 minutes in my mind you are a celebrity about this particular thing and obviously anybody in the room has self-selected as interested in the thing mm-hmm. so right away and you're the person who wrote the book on it so uh, so the 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 frowny face at the end of this story is that that person probably has or had been uh, some kind of developer or engineer or technical, highly technical person who's been charging by the hour to do these, to, to do this stuff. Like that's how they learned. That's how they gained the expertise to write the book in the first place. They, they were probably doing it and almost, almost certainly they were doing it. And then, uh, and almost certainly getting paid by the hour. And I have, I mean, I can count on one hand the number of developers I know who make over $200 an hour. So, you know, at least back then, but, you know, so they're maybe making 100, 200 bucks an hour, maybe 250. And, you know, once they wrote the book, they're like, I'm going to raise it to 250. And, <laughs> and then they're, they're getting these really premium clients that are coming along and they're just not capturing enough of the value that they're producing. Uh, so, so it's that, that hourly business model is just, it encourages you to continue to be bad and slow at what you do. There's just no way around it. So 
the more expert you get and the more more leads that are brought your way based on your positioning, you just can't capture the value because the the value that's mm-hmm. the value that you're creating is going up and up and up. Maybe not exponentially, exponentially, but it's it's nonlinear. It's going way up, and you can only you know realistically people can only increase their hourly rate in dribs and drabs. Or they've got like yeah. different hourly rates for their old clients and their new clients. And it just yeah. gets super confusing. <laughs> yeah, and you're rate bound. Yeah, rate bound. That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. So I saw that I saw a video the other day where Peter Thiel, who, who a lot of people hate, a lot of people love. Um, I don't really have an opinion, but he did say something that was really smart uh, about businesses. He's like, there's basically one formula I look at when it comes to a business. Uh, the business creates X dollars of value and they capture Y percent of X and X and Y are completely independent variables. Like that's the key. So in, in the scenario I just described where some, some O'Reilly author, you know, is now attracting clients like, I don't know, IBM and AT&T for these multi-million dollar bet the business, very scary projects, uh, and for them to be like, oh, it's 250 bucks an hour. I mean, they just like laugh. <laughs> they just yeah. be la- laughing behind the scenes like, okay, you know, yeah. Can we just like pay you for a year <laughs> you know, or whatever? Here, and let me just write a check right now. Right now, And you're yeah. ours for a year. Yeah. You can't work with Verizon for a year. We're going to keep you under wraps for a year. Yeah. So, so the, the, in that model... Um, as your positioning and your expert, as your expertise and the recognition of that expertise in the marketplace increases, the X number, the value goes way up. The value that you can create, the home runs you can hit, the grand slams you can hit, go goes way up. And the the Y number, which is the percentage of that value that you are capturing, is static. It goes down actually because you're 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 probably capturing at the absolute dollar amount is probably about the same or maybe a tiny bit higher. But the X has gone way up and Y as a percentage is going down. down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't, so, I mean, it doesn't feel fair at the, at the very least is correct. linking yeah. those, those things together. Yeah. There's something called inequity aversion that people can Google for, which is, which is the, the only, which I think is the only true application of the word fair when it comes to pricing. So that, that might be something we can put in the show notes, but inequity aversion as a fascinating psychological uh, phenomenon that is that that leads to bad things but anyway um yeah so if you if you have a business model that prevents you from at least maintaining why so if you were if you if you normally capture 10 percent of the value of that you create for for a client and the value you start getting clients that are 10 you know get, uh, getting 10x the value because you know maybe Maybe one year your your big whale client for the year was some regional cellular carrier. And then you become famous, air quotes, in this tiny pond. Mm-hmm. And the next year for the whole year, your client is AT&T. And the value that AT&T is going to get out of the exact same expertise that, that you had the year before, or maybe it's a little bit better, is going to be 10 times what the regional carrier had. So for you, for your why, your percentage of, of revenue captured sorry, percentage of value captured, it needs to go up by 10x in absolute dollar numbers. So mm-hmm. if, if you made a million dollars for the regional carrier and you're, you're going to make 10 million for AT&T or at least contribute to them making 10 million, then you should make 10 times the money as you did from the regional carrier with AT&T. But, this, but, but an hourly business model 
prevents this. You'd have to 10x your hourly rate, which can't happen. Which just, it's so weird because psycholog yeah. psychologically it can't happen, even though in reality it would be the same amount of money. But people are not going to pay you $2,000 an hour for a year. No, it's, it's a psychological thing. But the other psychological piece is that you also have to cross that chasm where you say, yes, I should make let's say a million dollars because oh. I'm saving 10 million. There's a lot of people that are like, I can't say that number with a straight face. Tell me about it. First sales yeah. to yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. I, I'm working with people right now who are just delivering, reliably delivering unreal results for their clients. And, and it's happening so quickly that they can't, they can't get their heads around. Like, you know, I said to one a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, you need to add a zero to that number. Mm -hmm. Like your fee, for, it's just too low. Yeah. Or maybe, no, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It was it was like 5X. You need to 5X your price for that productized service. Yeah. And and it's just like, uh, I can see the math and it makes sense. But it's like you said, can't say it with a straight face. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a while to get to that point, And most people will, will hopscotch a little bit. I mean, it does make it easier when you're not, um, going back to the same client because that's a that's a whole different that's a different, complicated mess. Yeah, but when you're talking about a new project, a new client, it's a new day. Mm -hmm. Yep. And why not? Why not try it? What do you have to lose? Yeah. So you know, I, I it reminds me of it's a related but perhaps a bit tangential topic. I I this is why I love posting prices on your website because it it puts you into a slot in the in the prospects mind so when new clients come along they already have the expectation at least in a ballpark way of what it would mean to work together so like oh. you know time certainly time investment as well I, I put things like that on sales pages you know like oh you know this will probably take about four weeks is gonna require this much involvement from your side and these people and i'll need to be able to talk to a couple of your clients and so they understand everything that they would be investing from their side you know plus the money mm -hmm. and you know, and then talk about the results that they can expect to receive. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you Wait. and if you're putting prices, if you put your hourly rate on a website, it doesn't it almost doesn't even make sense because it, it doesn't as, as mean as, anything. It's meaningless. It's like um, it's only meaningful to a buyer who is about to go compare you to other people's hourly rates. Yeah. Because they'll just assume wrongly that everyone's going to take about the same amount of time. No. And that the quality is going to be about the same yep yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, that's the business model is just messed up for certainly for anyone who's gotten really good at what they do and is an expert and then certainly anyone who's positioned themselves well and is a recognized expert or that's starting mm -hmm. to get into territory i would call an authority then um yeah then it's just really difficult to capture the any meaningful percentage of the value you start to create because it goes up so so high so fast Mm -hmm. I think there's another point on monetizing positioning that I want to make, and it's for the consultants who are serving kind of a Fortune 500 style audience where you're serving the head of a function, maybe the C-suite, maybe director level. Um, and there is this, a lot of times I see this feeling that they're stuck because their clients don't like to look at Twitter. They don't like to look at LinkedIn. You know, how are they going to kind of capture their attention and show them other products versus their typical consulting services? There is a sense that they, they just don't want to share. 
They don't want to share their experiences with other people. They don't want to go into a group program. And um, I guess the point I want to make is that there are so many ways even if you're in that elite audience, like the example we talked about, that you can take that expertise and slice it and dice it in a different way so that you don't have your one revenue stream being consulting to those people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to have options. And I know people feel stuck, but there's always at least one and usually a half a dozen potential options. Sure. Yeah, I mean, do we want to get into that a little bit or... We like, could. Okay. <laughs> I, one that one that really surprised me that I had a ringside seat to, uh, I think it was probably about 2011 or 2012, I was working with some folks that were putting together what I would call, they didn't call it an association. It was kind of like, it was kind of like an executive mastermind where they mapped out like, I think it was like six or eight industries like huge industries like mining government you know or, or defense mm-hmm. you know uh, healthcare, education so they were all so no direct competitors really and they reached out to like extraordinarily high level executives at at each of, of the obvious the, the nike of each category so like the obvious huge 400 pound gorilla of each category and said we're going to put together a mastermind with your job function across these eight, I think it was like eight industries. They had this like really fancy graphic of like the different industries. And we're going to look for synergies at the intersections and see, you know, and, and innovate, essentially innovate cross industry. And mm-hmm. so there wouldn't be any direct competition. So the, the premise was that, that, um, there would be no competition. So it would be okay to share. And there was, you know, there was, there was a lot of language around, uh, privacy and so forth and like how the conversations would be used and and they and and the the, the FOMO they and they used FOMO to be like um, you're you're the first you know let's use uh, telecommunications again um, you know a, a CEO of AT&T or CTO of AT&T or CIO it was probably CIO of AT&T um, we came to you first you guys are the ones we want. You're the biggest player in this industry. Let us know in the next month if you can do it. If not, that's fine. We'll just go to Verizon. And, <laughs> and so the FOMO was huge. And so they, they brought competition into it in the sale uh, and they sold out $65,000 a year to be on, you know, on this. So, you know, times eight or whatever it was. And, and, and it was like one in-person meeting. And then I think it was quarterly like a, a zoom or whatever and this is you know this is years ago pre-covid but like executives mm-hmm. like this aren't going to be f- you know flying to a monthly thing most yeah. likely but it was like it was like hey do you want to be part of it it was I, oh innovation council that that rings a bell i think okay. they called it an innovation council uh mobile innovation council something like that and yeah they sold it out and uh so you know f- for essentially a bunch of organization they basically led a group uh facilitated a group and uh, I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. And so that's a, and then, and then, and then the consulting firm that organized the whole thing, well, guess what? Now, CIOs at the leading companies across eight or so industries mm-hmm. were on a first name basis with yep. these brains, you know? So it was like, wow. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when I was in the big consulting world, and it is a long time ago, but they would try to do those things, but they would never charge. 
they were always free. And Hmm. that was the problem, I think, in retrospect. I I agree. Free? That's going to be worthless. Because the consulting firm, and there were more than one firm did this, would think, oh, if I could just get access to the CXO of whatever the function was, oh, this would be Mm -hmm. great. So I'm going to make it free. And they would... They would try to make it really attractive, but I just felt like it was never valued because they didn't have to pay for the exclusivity. That's a mistake. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. a mistake. I'm sorry. That's crazy. Yeah. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's it does, it's, it's again, that's another chasm. It's, mm-hmm. oh, I should do this for free. I'll just do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. And when you think about monetizing, of course there are things you're going to do for free. You're going to speak for free. You're going to show up on podcasts. There are going to be plenty of things you do for free. Mm-hmm. But the things that are where you're using your best work, you're working in your genius zone, delivering to your ideal audience, most of those should be paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You get, it's, it's a, the line in the sand is different for everybody, but you, you got to fund the mission. So you got to draw the line somewhere and ideally it's going to be, well, you know, naturally it's going to, it's, it's going to be at the, the portion, sort of the portion of the, the audience whose attention you have, it's the portion who has the highest buying power is the easiest place to start because they're automatically going to be less sensitive to high prices. So, you know, Duh. So like the CIO of a, of AT&T, and I'm just, I'm not saying that the CIO of AT&T was like in this innovation council, but cause I don't remember, but, um, you know, I, I'm sure 65 grand was like peanuts. Yeah. That's, that's a rounding error in the budget. Right. So we, we talked about the sort of, the sort of franchise model and having certified coaches or certified consultants underneath you. Obviously you could also build a firm. That's another way to go. Um, What's another? Oh, market research is another one, or or market Wait, intelligence. What, what, say in, more about that. In terms of other ways to monetize, so it, it gets, oh, okay, I'm with you. Yeah, so so uh, like market intelligence, like say a Gartner kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, or uh, let's see what else, like civic science. We're we're gonna have a guest on the show soon, the CEO of Civic Science, so he can tell us all about monetizing in that way. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, what's some other things? Yes, we talked about franchise. We talked about executive masterminds. We talked about um, community, well, any, membership any kind of Yeah, any kind of, um, I put these with masterminds, workshops, seminars, you know, anything where you're delivering in that way. But there's, let's not forget productized services too. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. it's, you know, the website in a day or some kind of an assessment tool that where you, uh, you draw a box around what it is you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, not that's not yeah. necessarily something Fortune 500 folks would do, but when they do, it's usually a huge lead-in to whatever their service is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a way to get paid doing some things that, if you were doing a proposal, might be unpaid. Hmm. I actually, I actually came up with uh, some ideas. I was brainstorming some ideas as I was closing down or, or ramping down my uh, mobile biz, where. I, I would offer a, a mobile innovation workshop be like a half day thing and or, yeah, whatever. Let's say it was a, a day long thing, executive uh, leaders or board or whatever be in this thing. Because I, I did some talks that were like half day. It was just a, really a presentation though. It wasn't a workshop. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I wanted to kind of to get some, have a little bit more of a takeaway or a little bit more of a growth experience for them or like really change their minds. Cause it didn't, the, just giving a talk, like a two or three hour, t- you know, two 90 minute talks back to back was, 
didn't seem to be like changing anybody's mind. Like there's a lot of like, wow, that's interesting. And then let's just status quo. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, um, so I, I was thinking about that and then having a, um, and then having a workshop after it where we brought in maybe some people, you know, additionally a level under them, uh, to the whole thing. And also just really came up with some specific applications for them so that it would be mm-hmm. customized more to their situation. And, you know, like do all the, you know, all of the, the sticky notes on the wall thing and all that. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I, I could offer, I could offer that in a box air quotes where I gave, you know, I present, I record the presentation and then provide all the materials and a framework and like a workbook for, for the appropriate person at the company, probably like director of product or something like that. Um, and, and have that and just here it's, it's $900. It's this whole like like innovation workshop in a box and mm-hmm. you, you buy it, deliver it, go through all the stuff, deliver it to the people. And I don't even, I wouldn't, I never, never actually released it, but I was like that, I'll bet you that would work. And yeah. it's, but it, maybe it wouldn't, but big deal. And it also <laughs> sounds like you could charge more for that just from the name. Just, Probably. Yeah. It feels yeah. like it would have been at least a couple thousand, I would think. Maybe. Yeah. See me like selling to my own wallet. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing, because we always think about it. We we undervalue what we're producing. But if you mm. think about it from a corporate buyer's perspective, there's not much that they buy that's $900. True. Even yeah, if they I go to probably... a training session, it, it costs more. I mean, to go to like some kind of a conference booth, travel and everything is going to be over two grand. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Come to think of it, I could probably probably do it just under 5000 and they just put it on a credit card and not even think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. I mean, for crying out loud, I was getting paid like 7,500 bucks to do the two hour talk and I'd have to usually drive somewhere. So like, yeah, yeah, just package this up, sell it for five grand. Man, I don't do it. (laughs) Well, that's why we keep going back to sometimes you just have to start with a a clean sheet. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's really, um, depending on, depending on any add-ons that I could have, but you know, just on its own, that's straight up product. That's not even a product I service. Yeah. Um, but you could yeah, definitely have, I was talking to someone recently who just to give people, you know, get the gears turning, uh, for folks listening, I talking to, to someone who had a, who's, uh, really in the innovation space. He's, he's a designer and would just do while they, they spent his year instead of writing books, he, he, he had a small firm and he, instead of writing books every year, he would essentially have his company himself and his team put an equal amount of effort into research and then produce an amazing, like large poster size in, infographic mm. uh, that, that they would distribute to hospitals and, you know, hospital administration. And I was like, wow, that's great. And, but you know, but how do you monetize it? I think they, I, I don't know if they sold the posters or not, but I'm sure it was a trivial amount of income. Right. Um, but they would do these engagements sort of like an innovation workshop, call it, uh, but it was it was an engagement like it wasn't just a day, you know, it was like it was a, um, to produce a particular outcome. And I was like, well, how do you how do you keep it from being it must be very different from client to client. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, how do you keep it if you're selling it at a fixed price? How do you keep it from going way over? And he's like, we just time box it. I was like, what if what if they drag their feet? And he's like, that's their problem. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. And so he, he would he have this, you know, I don't know. I, I don't even know how much. It was a lot. It was it was a non-trivial amount of money for one of these engagements, and 
you know, the expectations were set up front. Like here, here are the meeting times. Here's what you're going to have to do. The shared accountabilities. Here's mm-hmm. what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, on August 25th, we're done. So, you know, they, so it was cool, actually. I was like, wow, that's really great because if they spend the money it's and there is a deadline where you're going to disengage, then it would probably stop a lot of foot dragging. And if it didn't stop the foot dragging, well, too bad. Yeah. Right. You're, you're protected. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't, I don't know if, I don't know how comfortable I'd be with that, but he was like, whatever, that's their problem. And I was like, all right, that's yeah. cool. If it's cool for you, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of blurs the line too. Like he's made this investment in creating this infographic and I'm assuming he's distributing it to potential clients, but it's, it feels yeah. like a branding exercise. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, not a product, but it's, uh, I'm thinking of a pal of mine that uh, used to work for a, a very niche innovation firm and they did a different version of that. They created a book every year. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a big book. It was a small book and it was an unusual size. So people would note it. And um, the one I remember had these different quotes from people that maybe you heard of, maybe you haven't. And then they had a, like a short essay. And when I say a short essay, I don't even know if I should call it an essay, maybe four or five paragraphs mm-hmm. on that topic. And the pages were different colors. And it was like this little gift. <laughs> It was the coolest thing, but the reason I remembered them for years was that book Hmm. because it gave a way to make their expertise tangible. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the poster was definitely like a a marketing exercise or a branding exercise. Yeah. And uh, and then they would then they would get very well known using that because they were Mm -hmm. cool, cool. Oh yeah. Not only they they were right. Not only did they look cool. But they were based on their own research. Like, so it was like looking into numbers that no one else had looked into. So mm-hmm. they, it was just great, just super good. Yeah. And then, it, then, I mean, just hearing that, I'd like to work with them. Right. And then to monetize, it was like, hey, you know, we've got, we've got this thing. I don't know if they offered anything else. It was just this, like, uh, it might have just been this one thing. It was high price and it was time boxed. So essentially, productized service, fixed price, fixed scope. And yeah. And they just needed to make people aware of it and and make it uh, the the um, uh, make the offer credible. They needed to trust them and so forth. Mm-hmm. But you know they yeah. they were able to do that in their marketing and yeah, very cool. But so anyway, I'm just trying to give folks. We're just trying to give folks different ideas about about you know to to think beyond the sort of like consulting, speaking, writing, you know, typical consulting engage, typical consultant business model and. Mm-hmm. and Especially if you're billing by the hour, it's like, all right, once you get to this point where you are the big fish in the small pond, if you aren't changing or playing with your business model, you might not be able to capture the drastically increased value that you're creating. Well, I think the the other piece, we've talked about it a lot on the show generally. We haven't really talked about it today, but there's sort of this piece when you're when you're a consultant and you're dealing with large corporates and you're kind of operating on your your platform, and by platform, I just mean all the things that you're talking about, your point of view, et cetera. It's relatively easy to then write a book because they're so interconnected, right? What's harder, I think, if you're not used to dealing with um, audiences that are buying little things is either some sort of standalone digital training product or things that aren't a book where you have to, where they're short, like a blueprint, 
or mm. a checklist or a how-to guide. That's what I think is really interesting. And just the exercise, after you've created the book and you've got the consulting piece of the exercise of creating the, the digital training is a really, really good thing to do. It mm. forces you to chunk it. Now, obviously, it's easier if you do that first before you write a book. Um, but not everybody has the audience or the will to do it. They'll want mm -hmm. to have the book because the book is an easy calling card. Of course, it's harder mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, people people take different routes to that. Um, I mean. Yeah, yeah, there's no one way. It's no one way. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done both, you know, where I was just like, just totally into a particular specialty and I just wanted to go deep doing research like my iPhone book is basically 100% research that I was doing on the fly as I was writing the book mm. so I not only had I not That's taught fun. a training course on it I didn't even know it before I got the book deal <laughs> so because yeah. it was brand new so no one was good at it you know and it was like it was brand new you know mm -hmm. so that was one way and then then you know, flip it around the other way. The the book I'm working on now, which will which is perennially late, and you're actually inspiring me to get back to writing it. Thank you very much. Oh, good. You're welcome. Yes, <laughs> is completely based on experiences that I've had. You know, it, it's if I could just you know if I could just make myself sit down and do it, I know everything I need to write. I don't have to research anything. You know ah. what I mean? It's the polar opposite. Because oh, I've got five years of coaching people on this stuff. So yeah. That's perfect for this approach that that I wrote about it that I'm taking for the book. It will mm. absolutely work for you because mm -hmm. you know you don't have to worry about the research. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the poster child for procrastination when it comes to books, but mm -hmm. I'm getting it done. Cool. All right. So let's see. So we've talked about these sort of three phases. We've talked about the three different inflection points. Uh, we've talked about a you know, some traps, the gilded hamster wheel. That's my favorite. It's so good. <laughs> and, and some suggestions about how to innovate your monetization. So in, innovate your, you know, it does not, it's not exactly business model because it's, it could just be different types of products and services. It's, I don't know if I would necessarily call that a business model change, but it could certainly be, it could be that drastic. Could be. Yeah. Is there anything else we failed to share no i mean i think that's that's the exercise it's the it's getting really clear on your positioning all the things that we talked about and then comparing that to how you're currently monetizing hmm. what you're doing and you know don't be afraid to shift it up try something new mm -hmm. great all right well that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye bye